Patience is a virtue. And when someone has the ability to wait for something without getting angry or upset, this is seen as a valuable quality for somebody to have in their life. Patience isn't always a good thing. But if someone decides to, to wait and be patient to see if the, the pain in their stomach is just going to go away with time, well, then the problem can just continue to get worse. So while patience is a virtue, there are situations where being patient can actually be seen as harmful and reckless behavior. Well, today we're going to look at God's patience. And specifically, we're looking at God's patience as it deals with how he deals with sinners, which God displays his patience towards us And the fact that he doesn't just wipe us off of the face of the earth, but instead gives us time to continue living our lives here on the earth. But as we think about all of the problems that this causes in our world, it raises the question, is God's patience towards sinners a good and virtuous characteristic of God? Or is God's patience towards sinners harmful and reckless behavior. Now, the verses before us this morning take place during the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders that we looked at last week. And just as a reminder of what sparked this confrontation, now it was Holy Week. Jesus had just entered Jerusalem that Sunday with people shouting praises to him as the Son of David. That very next Monday, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all of the people who had turned the temple into a marketplace. And afterwards, he then miraculously healed the blind and the lame. And because of these, not only these recent events, but because of everything that Jesus had been doing for those past three years, the religious leaders' patience with Jesus had run out. At this very moment, they were looking for any opportunity to get rid of him. And the very next morning, on Tuesday, they thought they had the perfect opportunity to do so. They saw Jesus teaching a crowd in the temple, and they went, confronted him, and asked him the question, Who gave you the authority to do all of these things? And Jesus responded to their question, which was meant to trap him, with the parable of the two sons, where he pointed out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Because while they thought that their religious system that was so focused on strict outward obedience to God's law was what God desired for their lives, well, Jesus pointed out that what God truly desired was for them to live lives of repentance. And while those religious leaders were still standing there, right there in front of Jesus, with their hypocrisy exposed for everyone to see, Our verses for today continue with Jesus telling these religious leaders to listen to another parable. And Jesus' command for the religious leaders to listen here was really a warning. Because while most parables are universal in their application, the parable that Jesus now speaks was spoken directly at these religious leaders. And this parable carries in it Harsh words of condemnation. Words that would become a reality for these religious leaders if they refused to hear, repent, 
and believe what Jesus had to say. Jesus begins the parable with an illustration that would have been familiar with his listeners. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. So the illustration we see here of a vineyard is taken from Isaiah chapter 5, our first reading for today. And in Isaiah, the image of a vineyard was used to picture how God had done everything to care for and nurture his chosen nation, the Israelites. But Jesus quickly abandons the original thought conveyed in Isaiah when he mentions that the owner leased the vineyard out to some tenant farmers and went away on a journey. So while Isaiah focused on the vineyard itself, picturing how God had cared for and nurtured his chosen people, Jesus is going to focus on the relationship between the tenant farmers and the owner, which pictured the relationship between the religious leaders and God. And so what takes place between these two groups is the key to understanding the truth that Jesus tries to convey with this parable. And what takes place between these two groups in the parable is shocking behavior. When the time approached to harvest the fruit, the owner sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenant farmers seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then the landowner sent even more servants than the first time. And the tenant farmers treated them in the same way. When the harvest time came, the owner of the vineyard simply wanted to send some servants to collect the rent from these tenant farmers the farmers who he had allowed to work on his vineyard. And the tenant farmers show shocking behavior in the fact that they brutally murder this group of servants that was sent to them, the group of servants that was sent to them by the owner who had allowed them to work on his vineyard. And the owner then showed shocking action as well. Instead of punishing these tenant farmers right then and there at that very instant, he showed extreme patience with them by sending another group of servants to give them another chance to pay the rent. Which was obviously the wrong course of action to take, seeing how they dealt with the first group of servants. And in hindsight, this became all too real for the owner when they brutally murdered the second group as well. But as we see the beginning of this parable, we see shocking action by both groups, the tenant farmers and the owner of the vineyard. But the most shocking actions come in what happens next. Finally, the owner sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. The tenants had already killed two groups of servants. And that's when the owner decides to now send his son. Showing inexplicable and extreme patience by giving them another chance. And he did so by sending his very own son to people who he knew were murderers. Inexplicable 
and extreme patience. But we see the most shocking action by the tenant farmers and the fact that they then killed the son. And their rationale for doing so was thinking that they were going to earn and receive the inheritance that was the son's, which was completely foolish because the inheritance would have to be given to them by the father of the son that they just killed. And this shows just how far gone they were in their hearts. But as we look at this parable and see the extremely shocking action by the wicked tenants and the extremely and inexplicably patient owner, that if there was ever a parable that Jesus told that wasn't true to everyday life, it's this one. But the extremely shocking action by both groups underscores the truth that Jesus was trying to convey to the religious leaders. That in this parable, the owner is God. The tenant farmers are the religious leaders. And the servants are the prophets that God sent to his people throughout the many centuries. And by sending prophet after prophet, God was showing his extreme patience with his people because the prophets were sent with the purpose of calling his people to repentance, to call them to turn away from their sins, to call them to turn away from all of their false idolatrous practices that they had fallen into, to call them to turn them back to the one true God who desired to fully and freely bless them with his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But over and over again throughout the centuries, the prophets weren't received with thanksgiving and joy. The religious leaders led the people to reject the prophets. And in many cases, the religious leaders even martyred the prophets that God had sent to them. And even though God had seen this repeated behavior throughout the many centuries, he had now sent his very own son into the world. His son, who is now being confronted by these very religious leaders in our verses for today. And remember the context in which this confrontation took place. For the past three years, Jesus had been showing himself to be God's own son, the promised Messiah. But the religious leaders refused to believe this truth, denying the obvious and clear evidence. And just as the tenant farmers in the parable killed the owner's son, well, so too were these religious leaders going to kill Jesus, God's own son, by sentencing him to death on a cross. But the fact that this confrontation took place before Good Friday shows God's extreme and inexplicable patience towards these religious leaders. Because through this confrontation, Jesus, in speaking this parable to them, had the purpose of calling them to repentance. Throughout this parable and throughout this entire confrontation, Jesus' purpose was to lead these religious leaders to see him for who he truly is, to see him as the promised Messiah, to see him as the one who came to win forgiveness for the sins of the world. This is what Jesus wanted the religious leaders to see throughout this entire confrontation. And that's what makes Jesus' question to these religious leaders 
especially pointed. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to these tenant farmers? They told him. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. And with their response, the religious leaders demonstrate that they heard Jesus' parable. And the fact that they understood that those wicked and wretched servants deserved the most severe form of punishment from the owner. But with their response, the religious leaders demonstrate that they failed to understand what Jesus was trying to convey to them. Because in stating that those wicked, wretched tenant farmers deserve the most severe punishment from the owner, they were in fact stating that they deserved the most severe form of punishment from God himself. A punishment that Jesus says is coming. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That is why I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces fruit. And Jesus questioned, asking them if they had never read the passage that he quotes from Psalm 118 was rhetorical. He knew that they knew the passage. What Jesus was doing here was, was really calling on them to apply it in a radically new way. Calling on them to apply it in a way that it applies to himself. That Jesus was warning these religious leaders by identifying himself as the cornerstone that Psalm 118 talks about. And by rejecting him, the cornerstone, the foundation of God's church, they would in turn be rejected by him. And what that meant for these religious leaders is that the kingdom of God would be taken away from them. The very blessings of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven wouldn't be theirs. Even though God had been extremely and inexplicably patient with them by continuing to have Jesus go and talk to them and having Jesus continue to try and show himself to them who he truly was, God's patience was coming to an end. That because of their continued rejection of Jesus, which would lead them to sentence Jesus to death on a cross, they were bringing upon themselves God's judgment. They were going to bring upon themselves eternal suffering and punishment in hell. In hearing these words of condemnation that Jesus speaks directly at these religious leaders, certainly makes us glad that these words were spoken directly to them, doesn't it? But before we take a sigh of relief, we need to understand that that doesn't mean that these words couldn't ever be directed at us. If we think these words of condemnation could never be directed at each and every one of us, then we completely fail to understand the total depravity of our sinful nature. Because of the sinful natures that each and every one of us has been born with, we are completely incapable of doing anything to restore our relationship with God that has been broken by sin. And there is nothing that we can do by our own thinking, doing, or choosing 
to make up for the many sins that we have fallen into. And if we think these words could never be directed at us, then we completely fail to understand our greatest enemy, the devil. The one who is currently prowling around here on the earth looking for Christians like you and me to devour. And if it was just us against him, then he would all too easily overpower us and accomplish his goal, which is to lead us to reject Christ so he can lead us on a path leading to eternal punishment and hell. And because of who we are, and because of who our enemy is, and because of the many sins that we fall into, it not only sounds like these words could be directed against us, it sure sounds like they are. But these words aren't directed against you. These words of condemnation are not directed against you because God has been patient with you. God, instead of wiping sinners like you and me off of the face of the earth, has decided to give us a time of grace. The time that we have here on this earth to come to faith in His Son, Christ. And what God has done for you with your time of grace is God has ordered all of history to make sure that you would be washed clean of all of your sins through the waters of your baptism. The waters of your baptism where God placed his very own name on you, making you his very own dear child. Your time of grace, where God has made sure that you would continue to hear his gospel promises, where he continues to assure you that the promised Messiah, his very own son Jesus, he sent into this world to be crucified and die so that he could be your Savior. In your time of grace, where God has made sure that you would continue to come to church where you would receive the very body and blood of your Savior in the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of all of your sins. That through his word and sacrament, God shows his patience towards a sinner like you. Because instead of bringing his righteous judgment against you, he has planted and created faith in your heart so that you would see Jesus for who he truly is, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the one who would accomplish God's plan of salvation three days after our verses for today take place, took place, being sentenced to death on a cross. The cross where he would not only suffer physically, but where he would take the sins of the entire world upon himself your sins included. And he would suffer the punishment that each and every one of us deserved. So that he would win for us eternal life in heaven. And because this is what Christ accomplished through his work here on this earth, we see, that God, we see God's patience and the fact that he doesn't simply wipe sinners off of the face of the earth isn't harmful and reckless behavior but rather shows his gracious and loving heart, proving and showing that he desires all people, including a sinner like you, to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds 
through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.